three, two, one. We are back at our favorite hotel rooftop at Citizen M on Bowery in New York City. I'm your host, Noor Tejuri, and welcome to the season two finale of Podcast Noor. It has been such a delight asking questions and sharing stories with you all, and I'm so grateful for you sticking around. So for this season finale, I would like to take you into the dreamy world of one of our generation's most prolific artists. Sarah Baba is a Palestinian Jordanian artist and director, born and raised in Australia and now living in Los Angeles. Sarah's photographs are the stuff dreams are made of. Color, luxury, romance, heartache, endless curated food spreads, and almost always paired with a perfectly curated subtitle. Her photograph series often feel like films, and when she's in director mode, sometimes they actually do become dreamy films. When I first came across Sarah's work, I was mesmerized and had really big feelings. So when I learned that Sara grew up in a culturally conservative Arab household, I knew the experiences that led her to make such provocative and bold art were probably also really incredible stories. Sarah's work makes her viewers feel all the feelings because she feels all the feelings. And photography, film, and writing are mediums she uses to process everything. Sara also comes from the ad world. She founded her creative agency Posse in 2016 and has worked with brands like Gucci, Condé Nast, Capitol Records, Sony Music, and GQ. So, with her expertise and keen eye, it is no wonder she's garnered an Instagram audience of a million plus. My favorite series of hers is titled Ebe, which infamously is the Arabic word for shame. This was also the first series where Sada herself is finally in front of the camera. It is the story of her relationship with her body, shame, sexuality, culture, relationships, identity, and so much more. It is so beautiful. Earlier this year, she self-published her first book. It is a massive luxury fine art book titled Dear Love, featuring a decade of her work, as well as raw and vulnerable life stories. She opens up intimately about her experience with childhood sexual abuse and even interviews her father about his experience being forced to leave his homeland of Palestine and never really feeling at home anywhere else. And of course, as someone who relates to the experience of growing up in an Arab household, I really dig into asking about Sarah's relationship with her parents and how they feel about her work. And Sara so graciously shares very openly. Honestly, this is such a loving final episode of this season, and we don't ever actually talk about it directly, but this is also the first on-camera interview that I've ever done without my hair covered. So I just wanted to give an extra thank you to Sara for holding that space because I honestly couldn't imagine having this specific conversation in this way with anyone else. And in Sarah Baba style, I'm even wearing a pink sweater that reads emotional support sweater. So I'm feeling very comforted. In this storytelling session, we discuss unlearning shame through art, going from numbing to feeling, reclaiming our cultures, the tricky relationship with parents not being supportive, peeling back the layers of love, and so much more. Sara does not hold back. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the season two finale of Podcast Noor. <laughs> Sarah, why are we laughing? 
I don't know. <laughs> it's just nice to see you finally. I know. So we were just talking about how I feel like this conversation is so overdue and also feels like really amazing timing and just divine timing because you're not only are you going through like such a incredible transformation to witness in that you have, you know, compiled so beautifully the last it's over a decade of work or yeah, it's a decade, a decade, which yeah. is pretty remarkable. I think that I've been, I've been reflecting on the last decade of my life and it's like, you know, the number 10 feels so tiny, but in, in terms of years and in, in this age period of like your twenties and thirties, it's so transformational. I feel like I change every day. Yeah. And so looking back at it and, and just like honoring the last decade of your life and, and last decade, decade of your work, how do you feel like being able to like hug it and look at it in a book. It feels so therapeutic. Um, it feels like I, I have like my, it's like I'm honoring like my twenties. Cause I, 10 years ago was, you know, I turned 20 and then I turned 30 when I decided to make the book and I really wanted to celebrate the journey that I've been on. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, coming from you know very uh intense childhood of like filled with trauma and like grief and loss and pain it was I feel like I had to mature really quickly to like you know understand and survive my circumstances and so I just wanted to honor like that time period of my life in my yeah. 20s because I feel like it was it was momentous and there's so many stories within the book that needed to be shared yeah and so mm -hmm. yeah it was it was really a true celebration of of like existing and surviving and making it through because I never thought I'd make it to my 30s if I'm being honest so mm. yeah it's a it's a real celebration I'm so happy that you're here thank you me too <laughs> how is your heart feeling today it's it's good um if you asked me this yesterday, it would have been a different answer, but I think I just needed to sleep because last night I got home from my book signing and I was, I was just feeling so emotional and over something that happened two years ago that I just like, it just came up out of the blue and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to cry about this right now. And it's like, I had just like repressed little parts of it. And, it's and then, so it's so um, intense when stuff like that happens yeah. when you're just like, Ooh, that was still in my body. Yeah. And I was like, why is this showing up for me right now? But I, I'm just going to like, I literally just like was staring at my knees and I was like, all right, we're just going to feel this. And then I just like started crying and I just like, but it was so, I, what I'm trying to do more of is just honor like where I'm at, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't feel good. So, well, it's yeah. also like you're processing it after years of like maybe a couple of years ago you wouldn't have been able to physically process it in a way where you're going to feel it all the way through yeah. and it was ready and I feel like especially after a book signing or after you have this massive gathering of people who have been impacted by your work it's as if like their light is giving you support to be able to kind yeah. of move through things yeah definitely and like it's it's so I've been saying this but I am um, with this book tour it's been so incredible to see like these rooms full of the people who are behind the likes on Instagram and like it's yeah it's so different because if I got like 300 likes on a post I and that's all I got I would be really like confused and upset but when you're in a room full of 300 people it's so different so different and so like I've just been like 
sitting down with every single person and like Mm -hmm. hearing how my work has impacted them and it's been it's just like to try and like absorb that has been so overwhelming and Mm -hmm. so sweet but it's like rocking me emotionally Mm. I'm just like ah this is so much love yeah it's it's so wild isn't it but it's so incredible because you know 300 people as human beings is a lot and it kind of forces you to recalibrate your relationship with numbers and social media because especially when you know for you Instagram is a huge platform for storytelling for your work and you're but you're the impacts that you're making are on real human beings so when you see people in real life how does that allow you to recalibrate your relationship with how you use social media it reminds me to not um be harsh on myself if like my engagement isn't high or whatever because at the end of the day like I am such a loved and supported artist and just because the numbers don't always like reach the highs it doesn't mean that that's taken away you know and you know I do especially because I feel like anytime I speak on being from Palestine or you know just share my opinion on anything regarding you know the occupation I do feel like my numbers significantly drop Mm. like 90% dip even if the post before was like extremely high. Yeah, so it's at that point, it's not even about thinking about the numbers around yeah. like social media. It's actually just like witnessing censorship. and Yeah, and, and feeling the weight of like my identity being silenced by a platform that I built my entire career on has been really like painful for me because mm. it's like they'll celebrate my art, but they won't celebrate my identity. Mm. And it's, and so I try to like, I really try and just um, be gentle with myself knowing that, you know, this is like a long-term thing to like be able to discuss mm-hmm. all of that. And like, as, as long as I can be welcomed into these rooms, that's when I can do the work. But yeah. Instagram is not on my side in that regard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. okay. So we were talking right before we pressed record and I stopped, you know, I was like, I want to talk about this on the pod. So I had asked you if you'd ever visited Palestine and um you were sharing that you hadn't and you had actually interviewed your dad for the book and I would love to just know okay listen we're Arab and so we come from a very specific culture and you do really like daring work like very brave work especially when it comes to just centering female stories and um asking big questions around culture and tradition and why we do the things that we do and why we don't talk about certain things And so I want to know how you approached interviewing your dad and just what your relationship with him has been like when it comes to how he engages with your work or what he knows about it. Okay. So my dad doesn't um, look at my work. I don't think he ever has. Um, And he's okay with that. I'm okay with that. I would prefer. Is it like an agreed thing? Well, it's just he's not active on yeah, online, yeah. so he has no access to it and he doesn't care to because he would rather just not know. All he cares about is that I'm safe and I'm, um, you know, I'm not disobeying him, whatever that means. And um, he because my mom is very unsupportive of my work. Uh, she comes from a very um, Christian background and she 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 uses that as a weapon to shame me constantly for the art that I create 
and my dad is agnostic and doesn't really participate in religion so he's always in the background being like Khaliha, like let her like it's art stop complaining kind of thing whoa and so i have like two conflicting sides with my parents um my mom i unfortunately have had to like sit down with her several times and be like let's agree to disagree because we both come from two different generations and the work that I'm doing is important but I don't expect you to understand it because how could you like you you don't live in the same world that I do I I don't I don't need you to understand I just need you to trust that I am doing the right thing and that's always like uh it's always a battle because she's Mm. she's just like but Sara I want you to be in heaven with me and like he really like goes in and even every single phone conversation we have even if it's got nothing to do with my work she'll always end it with but are you behaving what does that mean are you doing god's work are you behaving are you behaving that's literally like she says it in arabic but like she's what is the arabic like what does she say oh my gosh i (laughs) you don't have to obviously yeah no it's just it's different every time but it's always centered around like um if I'm honoring God's words. And what do you think that means to her? Uh, it's well for her, it's fear because she, she really does want us to all be in heaven with her. Yeah. That's her ideology. That's her belief. She's like my, I, I can't leave this earth unless they're coming with me. Mm. And so, um, which is amazing and it's beautiful, but I'm just not there with her right now. Like I have my beliefs and, and it's yeah it's tricky but when so how did that like how did when you first knew that you were going to become an artist and that this was the type of work that you wanted to take on how did you get over that first threshold of being like oh this is mama's not going to be okay with this my entire body of work has been an act of rebellion from my culture and but it represents so much more than that. It's also me reclaiming, you know, my body after the things that had happened to me as a child. And I, for the longest time, I blamed my culture for the things that happened to me. Mm. And so I was not, I was not truly embracing who I was and the people that I came from because it was built on so much shame. Mm. And so when I created Sex and Takeout, for instance, that was one of the more provocative series that I did um, and the wild ones, which is where I went to music festivals and I got really drunk and I would photograph musicians and like uh, roll around in the dirt and take drugs for the first time and just be extremely like rebellious and er doing everything that my parents told me not to do because I didn't feel safe in my culture. So I needed to find a space where I did feel safe and where I could belong and where I could act on desire but the differences that I'm out of and, you know, our culture just like cannot accept that we behave in this way. And the Western world was just pulling me in a different direction. They were like, come join us. And it was like the evils in the wilderness. And I was like, yeah, that looks good. Let's go, <laughs> you know. Um, and so like it was my way of just escaping you know, the restrictions and, you know, the shame that was put on me and 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 breaking free and my art became an outlet for that Mm. is it 
also, I, as you were saying that, I was like, huh, is it also not just a reaction to the things that happened to you specifically? And in that regard, you're, you are talking about different abuses, forms of abuse, but also a reaction to the fact that there was silence around them, that people wouldn't talk about it. Because I, you know, I think sexual abuse happens in all cultures and communities and it's, it, it doesn't discriminate against anybody, Yeah. but there is a, there is a way, and this is also, you know, this is a universal thing too, but there is this like lack of response or accountability or just like don't talk about it or blame or shame on the person that it's happened to. So I, I also want to kind of just dig a little bit deeper and be like, is it just a reaction to like someone being like, no, you can't do that. Or somebody being like, oh, that happened to you. No, we can't talk about it. It was, uh, it was a lot of things. Um, I do feel like my voice was silenced as a kid. I didn't really have a voice anytime I did speak up I was always told to be quiet be submissive be obedient and so um you leaning into my art to navigate being silenced really did help me build a voice for myself the voice that I never had and I was not just doing it for you know myself but it was also for my inner child Mm -hmm. and she so desperately needed to be heard and, and it was really important for me to give her a voice in order for me to truly like heal from the things that had happened to me. Mm. Yeah. And so how did you, how did art find you? Oh, I, it just, it's, in, it's within me. I, I, it's always been there. It's always been an outlet. When I was a child, it was me introverting in a living room across from where all the adults were gathering and I would just stare at the ceiling and build these playgrounds in my head that reimagined my entire world to be different and to feel different, to feel safe and to feel colorful. I mean, no, that's colorful is not the right word because our culture is very colorful, but um, I was creating these playgrounds of safety in my brain and that manifested into painting as a child and, you know, building like paper mache, like planets and universes. And then in high school, I, it was like fine art, like oil painting. And then it became photography and now it's film. And it's, I just feel like it's always like different mediums. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a part of me. It's just how I process things. That's so beautiful. I mean, and it's so clear your voice and your vision is so like distinct and it's so clear and it's like very beautiful how you have found yourself in so many in so many mediums, but it's still you. So I want to take it back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier. So you have like this response from your mom and from your dad. And when did you realize that, when did you make the decision that you were going to choose yourself and be like, you know what, if, even if, you're not supportive or you're not engaging or you're not agreeing. I love you. And I know that you love me and I have to do this. I don't think there was like a specific moment. Um, all I knew is that there was so much more to me that was like so desperately like dying to be heard. And if I had stayed at home in Perth in small town, Perth, Australia, I would never be able to reach these voices and these experiences and these memories and my identity, it was just so um, swamped and covered by like core beliefs that 
were built based on other people's like opinions and of me and like you know my family's like conditioning and society's conditioning and I just like I became such a shell of a human and I really didn't feel like I I was existing as my most authentic self and I knew that there was a greater purpose for my existence and I had to actively go and seek it and the only way to do that was to leave and not be surrounded by my community and just completely isolate myself and build a world based on what I truly wanted to um, be in existence, I guess. And it was, yeah, it was challenging because leaving everything you've ever known is hard. And it's not that I resisted, you know, the people that I come from, I just resisted myself and I couldn't understand mm. why I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And so I had to go and find belonging mm. and and that was the journey that I went on and that's when you know I really leaned into my art to to navigate mm. all of that so what did you find in your journey of belonging that it's okay so I um I write this in my book as well but I I believe that we are born into this world as love and we have all these layers that are you know our core beliefs become these layers and layers and they take us away from love and who we are. And so when I went on this journey, I was actively peeling every single layer of any time someone made me feel unworthy or, you know, someone made me feel like I didn't belong or, you know, someone like invaded my private space or, and I was just peeling all these layers and beliefs about myself one by one by one until I could find my way back to love. Mm. and I want to always exist in our pure, most pure self. And if we can exist as love, then we can access the divine. We can, you know, cultivate these beautiful, loving, you know, reciprocated relationships. But when we're still, you know, layered with all these, like, beliefs that aren't ours, we don't really truly exist as our authentic self because we're still acting in reaction to in reaction to these beliefs that we've yeah. created it's i call it like the the negative ego positive ego is ego is a beautiful thing because it helps us make really great decisions but it can also be a dangerous thing if you're acting constantly on the negative beliefs and the negative like parts of your ego so what i was trying to do is just like peel it all off so i can exist purely as love well, when was the first time you ever felt properly represented in media? Properly represented? I still don't feel properly represented. Hey, I'm Noor Tagori, and I've been telling stories my entire life. For my new podcast, Rep, I've spent years examining a more personal story about how the misrepresentation of Muslims in media has impacted American society. I thought I knew the story because I thought I knew my story. But the more I looked for singular, clear answers, the more questions I had. Our story guides include academics, artists, actors, and we bounce around through American history and culture, witness our present and future unfold, and then we find out how these stories affect all of us. Welcome to Rep. Expression is a space in the heart that is unleashed and let free, it runs wild. Listen to Rep on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. 
Okay, so two definitions. In this journey, your book is called Dear Love, and you, you break it into sections in your own journey of love within yourself and how, like, from your inside out, essentially. Yeah. And so how do you define love today? And just because you talked about ego, I'd love to know how you define ego, too, because that is, like, everybody has a different definition of that as well. Yeah, so um, I think ego is mind and mm. love is heart, and both these things are part of the human condition they're built into us we have a brain and we have a heart so and they're both extremely necessary to exist so it's not that ego is bad and it's not that love is the only infinite divine thing mm. I think what it means to be love um, and to be aware or self-aware of your mind is to just be aligned mm -hmm. and act in um, you know with all your decisions that you make you always center it around love so if your mind has the thought the love is the the one that like kind of nurtures it to its most like authentic place I don't know how else to like explain it I still am in the process of trying to like totally understand that myself like the full complete alignment of like mind body soul yeah, yeah. well work like compiling dear love what did that journey of actually putting and piecing together the last decade of your work and your own personal evolution, what did that teach you about the concept of love and, and society's relationship with it? I think what it has taught me is that self, like self-awareness and being aware of everything you've been through is the most important work that you have to do as a human in order to go back to love yes and yes, yes, i yes, think yes, yes. with social okay. media right now and it's there's like it's like a double-edged sword because on one side it's like there's so many um conversations going on around self-work and self-love and you know therapy talk and mm -hmm. you know it's giving kids access to resources that they never had before, especially if they can't afford therapy. Um, and it's teaching kids how to be a better person and how to go inwards in order to heal from your shit. But then it's also on the other side of it, it's telling kids to escape from themselves and using their phone as a vice to not, you know, face their reality and not face themselves. So I think with all of that, like, I think most people right now aren't doing the work because they're constantly distracting themselves, whether it's alcohol, partying, drugs, internet, uh, whatever vices that they find, escapism is still very much present in society and in every room that we walk into. People are constantly trying to escape themselves. And I think um, hmm. I think doing the work and going inwards is the way out of that mm. and facing yourself and facing mm -hmm. the things that hurt and allowing them to hurt, that that's like the work that needs to be done. And that's how you can reach love, like pure love. Yeah. Yeah. How did you do that? How did you face that? I um, oh, it was a process. <laughs> yeah, it was a real process. Um. So I was in that escapism world for a really long time. I numbed myself on Vanix, Xanax and Valium for like three years mm -hmm. before I moved to LA. And then when I got here, it was um, 
it was chaos. It was, I was constantly like, I couldn't be alone. I couldn't sit with myself. I was going out every single night, um, trying to find a sense of safety and community, attaching to these like people who told me I was safe, but would just contradict that in every way. And Mm. it was just a constant state of, um, fighting with myself and I knew it wasn't sustainable. I knew like I wouldn't be able to continue living if I was doing this to my body and avoiding what was going on in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of my first year in LA, I decided to completely like rehab. I took myself to the desert and I, um, I also had like bulimia at the time and it's just like, everything was like bad. Mm -hmm. It was like, I was destroying my body any way I could and I needed to change. Otherwise I wouldn't make it another year. And so I, um, yeah, I just, I promised I wasn't going to purge again. I stopped taking Valium slowly and like, I, um, I stopped drinking and by 2017, I was completely sober and, Mm -hmm. and I started therapy and I like, I just like completely went in, I went in and I went from feeling nothing and being numb for most of my life to feeling everything all at once. And it goes from like apathy to like, I don't even like a downpour of emotions, like numb, 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 and then downpour and then back to numb and then downpour. And I didn't know how to stabilize my emotions Mm. and that's when I really needed my art to create a space to to honor what was going on, to write it all down and, and kind of go from there. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. <laughs> Tell me what goes into a Sarah Bahbah vision. Like when you know the storyline, how you see it, like e- just even down to like the colors and the words, like h- how do you put together a vision and if we can like start from the inside, like, so you're in this moment of your art being the medium in which like you can face your emotions out loud in real life. And then you create something that moves millions of people. How does that come together? It always, um, it does start from within. So it's me trying to process a situation where I feel like my safety has been taken away from me. And, you know, someone who is extremely, extremely anxious, um, you know, I've convinced myself I'm constantly in danger. And so Mm. whenever I feel the slightest bit of instability in my relationships, it triggers like a wound so deep within me that's um that like feels like complete abandonment Mm. and so my brain is just trying to pick up the pieces of like how to feel safe again and so what that means is reimagining all of my um scenarios in which I um felt safe and then how that safety quickly like disappeared and it's just like I go back to every single moment and I, I imagine them in a hundred different ways. And well, it's while I'm doing that, that all these subtitles come to be. And then... I love that they're subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> they're one-liners. They just yeah. pour out of me. Like, I can write... That's a- harder than writing many words. Yeah. And also my advertising background taught me to, like, sell things in one minute. So my brain just, like, knows how to do that. It oh, can, wow. like, one line can... 
like depict like an entire experience yeah. and I'm really good at it because I was trained in that way I was trained to be a one-line person like because that's what advertising teaches you well um and so I would come up with a hundred of these and you know it would be over a series of like three to four months and once I was ready to release it I would um then plan the visuals and I would plan the shoot mm. and I'd find my talent and everything kind of comes together after that and then I release it to the world and once I release it I know that I'm you know, I fully processed this feeling of instability and wow. I fully allowed myself to like accept where I'm at. Mm. And so I can give it to the world and it's no longer mine. That's so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about the, just like the aesthetic itself, like the colors and the, just like the glamour and the subtitles and I just, colors the colors the colors the colors like how did that come to be how did you how did you find a way to make that part of the voice so I um when I was younger when I first started photography I would shoot on film mm -hmm. and I realized because I was going to these festivals every single week and I wasn't getting paid to shoot them I couldn't afford to like process film anymore so I wanted to make my photos look like film, but they were digital. And so from a really, really young age and, you know, the very, very start of my career, I was already manipulating colors in my photos to capture the essence of what it felt like to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Perth and so it's always sunny and the sunsets are the most beautiful ones you will ever see. And I really wanted to you know, encapsulate that in my work and, you know, really feed on the nostalgia of being at a festival as the sun is setting and everyone's cheering and out of their minds and dancing around and there's your favorite band in the background. And, and so color became a huge part of the work. Mm. And, you know, in terms of like indulgence, I focus on that a lot in my sets because I also want to bring in my identity as an Arab and like what that means is, reflect it's covering like the table with food mm -hmm. and you know celebrating self and like love through community and indulgence in the meals that we have and the meals that we share and so I always um capture my protagonist surrounded by like a buffet of food because that really reflects how I grew up I love it yeah it's so beautiful and that's also like so the way I see it too, and I know we started this conversation and it was just kind of like unpacking some of the harm that comes within culture and tradition that we don't really rethink sometimes, but you've also managed to reclaim your culture mm -hmm. and to still like maintain it as a part of who you are and your essence. So what was that process like and how do you continue to do that? Yeah. So, um, it was a lot of unlearning. I think growing up in Australia and having been bullied by so many white kids saying that I was a dirty Arab and post 9-11 I was a terrorist and whatever shit they could come up with. like Even in Australia? Even in, oh, 100% in Australia. Australians are so fucking racist. It's yeah. wild, but um, not all of them, but. You had that experience. I had that experience. Yes. And um, it's they became a part of my core beliefs. And so I had internalized racism around my own identity yeah. and I had to unlearn all of that. And 
the most beautiful like takeaway from this journey that I've been on is that we do come from resilient, loud, loving, caring, chaotic people. And it is so worthy of celebration. And Mm. there is so much Mm -hmm. racism and xenophobia around like us as Arabs. And it's, it's truly like such a mess. It's like, we are not any of those things that the media portrays us as. And I knew that I always knew that. And I love the people that I come from, but it was, there was a disconnect because of the things that were happening to me. Um, you know behind closed doors and at school and so like as a child Mm -hmm. my beliefs became that we were wrong and we were inherently bad and that's not true at all yeah that process of unlearning is like a forever journey too because it's again like so much of culture and how we engage in it today is in response to how people have treated us or how we've been perceived and Um, We were talking with a friend earlier this morning about how like, you know, in, for example, like my family's from Libya and when Gaddafi was in power and there were like, you know, students who were hung in the university square for praying morning prayers. And for, and so like, there are people who like, you know, really leaned into religion, my dad included, and they were like holding on to it because it's like, it's, you know, almost a form of rebellion to like hold on to your faith in response to somebody who's killing people for it. And then on the other side of my friend who we were talking to this morning, she's Iranian and her parents fled. Um, or like she, I think she was, yeah, she grew up here and they like left in response to the religion becoming this like politicized and used as a weapon to oppress people there. And it's like every, everyone he kind of like responds in reaction to and it it's it's so difficult because this is part of that journey of like figuring out like who am i really because so much especially from our cultures so much of our identity is like or so much of our life is spent like trying to figure out who we actually are because so much of who we've been has been in response yeah and so I think that art is such a beautiful way to uh, unpack that and release it. And you've done such an amazing job. And, you know, when you released Abe, which is like um, just one of the most profound and powerful projects, the first one you ever did featuring yourself. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I would love to know now that it's been out for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you reflect on that experience? I have meaning literally shame in Arabic. And it's funny because, you know, you come from a Palestinian Christian background and um, my family is Muslim. And it's, I don't know the little girl in me who like grew up only around like very conservative Christian white people, like meeting, <laughs> you know, the first time I met an Arab person who wasn't Muslim, I was like, I didn't even know this. Ex- like I didn't, it <laughs> broke my brain. But so to even see you create this body of work that's titled Ab and like feel so familiar and the lines feel so true. And also like, you know, your mom is re- referring to God in a very similar way that my own family does. And yeah. so there's this like, we're so similar. It's, um, I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think there is so many similarities between Islam and Christianity, course, but, but also from the Middle East. So yeah. like my mom, you know, she's very much like no different to probably your parents, yeah. literally no different. So when, so I tell me about, tell me about that project from 
the sort of today who compiled Dear Love? Yeah, so um, I was created uh, during the pandemic and it was very much created when I was in the process of peeling off the layers. Yeah. And uh, I, I made the series because I wanted to challenge myself to open the Pandora box of why I didn't feel like I was worthy to be in front of the camera. And Is that how you felt? Yeah, I did. I felt that way. I felt it tremendously. And, you know, my friend, um, Stephen, I was on his podcast, Stephen Butler, and he said to me, of all the people that I know, mm -hmm. you are not one to doubt your abilities, but you're one to doubt the way you look. And he's like, go inwards and figure out why that is. And so... What a gift. Yeah. <laughs> it set me on this journey. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I... I, it came down to like the memories that I had um, repressed around my identity and, you know, also the conditioning from having grown up in Australia and only seeing like white beauty being celebrated, um, not seeing a single like Arab on TV, even an Arab woman on the, till this day on TV doesn't really like in Western world doesn't exist. It's not, there yeah. isn't many of us. And that's the work that I'm doing next, but we'll get into it later. But uh it's, um, yeah, I, for the longest time, I was um, hiding behind a veil of, like, blue contacts, avoiding the sun, straightening my hair to, like... I had a blue contacts moment. Yeah. When I was 14. Literally, yeah. when I came back from Libya, it was, yeah. they gave them to me there. Oh, my And they goodness. were like, oh, my gosh, yeah. so you can... My cousin had just worn them for her wedding. Yeah. And, now, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to wear blue contacts for my wedding. You know, it's so funny, because I haven't thought of this since, but whenever my sister went to Jordan, she would come back with different contacts. <laughs> yeah so it's like we yeah they, it <sighs> yeah it's it, yeah so we're just like constantly being told that we are not going to be accepted as the way we look and we have to alter our physical appearance to um to cater to the to white beauty standards and you know I was dyeing my hair I was starving myself I wasn't letting my out of curves kick in and everything I was doing to my body was to resist mm. you know my identity and so and it was because of the things that I believed about myself and it's because I didn't feel like I could exist as myself in any space without being ostracized or othered and so mm -hmm. I um I had to unlearn all that and that was the true core reasons why I wasn't able to put myself in front of the camera or wow. truly celebrate my identity and so Ebb was like a marker of that. It was, you know, to un it was to fight against these Western standards of beauty that I had like succumbed to. And it was also to fight against my culture for shaming me for existing as a woman. And it, it's like, you know, because I come from the Western world, but I, I grew up Arab through and through. And this Ebb is like the marker of the third. Like my friend Ratana, she says like, you've got to come into your third and what does that mean it means like you are both Arab and Western and you've got to create oh, right yeah. yes wow and so she's amazing and incredible artist and I adore her Ratana is her name she's from Saudi um but she lives in LA anyway shout out <laughs> she's amazing um but yeah she um yeah so she said that to me and I was like okay what does my third look like and yeah it looks like me honoring 
the people that I come from whilst also honoring my sexuality and, you know, celebrating my beauty as an other woman and, you know, creating space for that and, mm. you know, hopefully encouraging others to do the same without shame or guilt, you know? I mean, it looked like a spiritual experience. It was. It was oh, It was a total... It was a journey. It was a, like, usually I release my series, like, right after shooting them, but there were two series that took a really long time to get to a place of being like, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. The first was I could not protect her because that was the first time I spoke about my child sexual abuse mm -hmm. and that needed time and mm -hmm. nurturing. And then it was uh, because I wanted to check in with my community and make sure that I wasn't going to be expelled from ever going, being allowed into the Middle East again. And, and what was the response to it? Everyone's like, Sarah, you have to absolutely do this. Like, this is profound. We need this. Go for it. And I was like, okay. But then there was like, you know, a small percentage of like extremists who would like leave nasty comments. I mean, as always. Yeah. Like I got one the other day. It was like first class whore. I was like, that's, 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 that's actually nice. really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wild. Yeah. Hi there. Noor here from At Your Service. At Your Service is a storytelling company. We tell stories as a form of service. And the way I think about it is story first, medium second. Meaning we don't think, hey, I really want to produce a podcast. What should it be about? No, we think of it as we have a story we want to tell. What is the best medium, the best way to tell it? Maybe it is a podcast. Maybe it's a documentary series, a virtual talk, a speaker series, a dinner party, Maybe it's a book club. The list goes on and on. We also love being of service to companies and brands and nonprofits to help them tell the best story possible so that they can serve their audience and their communities. So if you want to check out more of our work, you can do so at ays.media. You can also find the transcripts for all our podcast episodes right there. And if you're enjoying this podcast right now, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a review and give us some feedback. Let us know if you like this style of podcast or if you're looking for something else. And of course, if you have any stories you'd like to pitch for us, you can do that through our website as well. As always, at your service. Are there any women in your family who engaged with Ibe? Um, yeah, all of my cousins and my siblings celebrated it. That's beautiful. Um, wow. My mom might have seen it. It's still a little undecided. I She did go on my Instagram at the end of 2020 somehow, and she sprung me with, like, Sada, I saw your Instagram. And it was like... God, that pit you get in your stomach? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what she saw, but she saw something, and she didn't speak to me for a month, so... But she's going to not tell me what she saw she's gonna just be ignorant because it's less painful for her to process that her child has gone astray from god in her eyes so but what is that like what does that mean to her do you think specifically is it about like the body itself or is it about the things that you're saying like what do you think that that actually is it's uh i think it's it honestly is it's it's fear based she just it's she could never understand these things like she never celebrated her human desires in that way right. she played by the book in every single aspect of her life and 
So for me, when she sees me in the work that I do, it's so foreign to her. Yeah. That it seems like I have like true and like through it's she she feels like I am a danger to everything she's fought so hard against, you know? But I, I guess I'm, the reason I'm asking is also just because like I'm curious how that is at, like for her as a Christian woman compared to, you know, in the Muslim community, like covering your body is like a huge part of you know the traditions yeah. that people engage in today so is that similar for her yeah I, my mom once would prefer i covered my body but not like it's just different um it's different but it's the same like yeah that's you, what i'm like trying to figure yeah, i'm like trying to understand it is the same but yeah it, you know you just have different in islam they have different practices of covering your body yeah, yeah. And, you know for women it's um you know, obviously it's like their choice and like it, you know, it's, it's really beautiful, but I just, in for my mom, she would just prefer that we, cause she, she dresses so modestly as well. And like when they pray, they cover their hair. Like she's very, very traditional. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They wear like a, um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a cloth over their hair. Wow. And, um, women aren't in, I think, I think she's Orthodox Christian, but they, it's like instant it's written in the bible that women should have their hair covered in, yeah in the like in the church yeah yeah it's so interesting that your dad is agnostic and that your mom is christian and that they yeah. have like that you know the conversation around faith and belief is like i don't know different like did that conversation ever come up for you like for your dad is is it like go engage in your own spiritual journey or was there more pressure for you to be christian um Oh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been different over the years. There isn't, cause like mm -hmm. there was a point where my dad wouldn't let my mom get baptized for instance. And my all my mom wanted was to be baptized so she could take the bread and wine at church. I thought that was something that happened when they were like younger. You can not in, um, not in their. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not in their traditions. Um, and what was his like for why? Uh, it was because he didn't like the way that my pastor was um not allowing my mom to do it and like it was like Whoa. it was like he, he was trying to protect her mm. out of ego because you know he didn't like that my mom wasn't being welcomed unless wow. she did the thing that he said she had to do okay and okay. so it was out of Thank protection you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah well um and but eventually he came around but he's never like he'll go to Catholic churches for like, you know, kids baptisms and stuff, but he's not, he doesn't like, um, practice religion. Mm. He doesn't, I don't think, I don't believe he prays. Um, do you talk to him about it? Uh, sometimes I haven't recently, I haven't in the past few years, but, mm. um, yeah, he's just, he's just happy to like, he believes there's a God and like, that's just like, yeah, that's kind of where he's at. Cool. Yeah. So, Oh, wow, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing all that. Of course. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your choice to self-publish your book. Okay. And just one of the things that I really admire about you and your work is that, you know, you're often using a sliding scale so that your work can be accessible so that people who can't typically afford like the retail price of a fine art book can afford it or your prints or whatever it just feels so in service to the community and in a way 
your choice to self-published a almost 500 page fine art photography book with your with beautiful words like walk me through the decision and like were you nervous (laughs) (laughs) so um i was planning to always publish a book um it was always in the back of my mind as i was building the body of work and you know i was in new york in 2017, I was approached by like these like agents who pitch your books to publishers and we were just getting really bad deals. And I was like, I think my work is worth more than this. And then were they like bad deals that you felt like they were bad deals for you or generally you're just like, wait, this structure is not good. I think for the artists. structure yeah. doesn't favor the artist, but now I'm kind of understanding like being uh, the publisher now I'm like, Oh, there is a lot of cost and yeah. it makes sense that they would do that. They would okay. take, you know, they would give you an advance and then pay you I, the royalties, which is like, I think 10% or 5%. It's, it's low. It's low, but every deal is different. So I can't speak to that. But, um, I, I just, I just like, didn't like these offers that were coming through. And then I, you know, I met with a really, really big publishing house and, they were saying the same thing. It's like, well, you actually have to pay for it and then we'll do everything else. And then it was just backwards. And I was like, eh, I don't like any of this. And they were also trying to dictate what the book would be. And I had such a clear vision for it that I didn't really like, I didn't, it didn't really make sense for me. And I wanted to, you know, I've worked so hard to be an independent artist. I left my galleries many years ago. I, Why? you know, I, we won't get into that okay, yeah okay. but just like well i think it's like a big decision they don't put the artist first let's yeah. just say that and leaving they go galleries, behind your back leaving agencies yeah. we left an agency years ago and we started yeah. our own thing and that's why i feel like i i i can see and i can feel the and taste the freedom almost that you have that yeah. is incredibly challenging like, yeah. it doesn't mean it's easy at all but it's not it's definitely not easy um cuz like you have to you have to literally work every single hour of the day to make sure that you are getting everything every single thing done that people have teams for yeah and but it's just you know I in 2000 and at the end of 2017 I left all these galleries and um, by 2018 I released my first like limited edition print and instead of the works being sold for thousands of dollars I wanted to democratize my art and make it more accessible so we did a print that was like two hundred dollars and and then like by by the pandemic i did this sliding scale mm-hmm. where it's like you can pay 50 dollars or up to 300 and and honestly like the in old institutions do not support it because it goes against everything that they've worked to control artists and i and i just like i want to keep pushing against the grain because i believe that you know, it also makes me feel like I could do anything knowing that I could publish a book or sell 25,000 prints or whatever, you know, it's like, I did that. Yeah, you did. No one else did that. I did that. Yeah. And that feels really fucking good to own. And, and so I like, you know, when the book came around, I had a choice. I was like, do I want to start pitching this again and going to all these publishers or do I want to leverage the audience that I have? Yeah. And, you know, knowing that they support my work mm-hmm. and knowing that I can price it so it's still accessible. Because mm-hmm. um, if I went with a publisher, they would sell this book for like minimum 300. I already know that. And I would only get like $10 from it. So 
it's that's bonkers yeah it's bonkers <laughs> but um i so that's what i did i i spent every single hour last year like 12 16 hour days working on this book and you know project managing it making sure through and through the process was like clear and greenlit i had a beautiful team of editors i had a graphic designer i you know i had legal like make sure the talent was cleared and it was just all the art was cleared and it was a process and then going back and forth with the printers on like the cover and the quality of the book and the size and like how much are you going to order how many books do you think you can sell and like not knowing what number because obviously the more books you order the more um the the, the lower the, the cost low, yeah. is and i wanted i'm like okay i had to like weigh out the margins but then there's also a recession and people aren't buying things right now so it's like what do I do? And it was just so many questions that I had to answer myself. I didn't have a team for this. That's what it means to self-publish. You are the boss. You literally have to make every single decision. And I loved it, but it destroyed me at the same time because it was, it was so hard. It was really, really hard. And I burnt myself out a million times through. How did you keep going? Uh, it was honestly, there was moments even this year where I'm like, I need to just disappear for a month and not speak to anyone. Cause I'm so exhausted. But, um, but I, I pushed through, I just like, I started to be more gentle on myself. I mm -hmm. think it was like, once the book finally was out, it didn't end. I had to also do customer service while I found a customer service team. And this is for like, at the time it was like 6,000 orders. You're like saying all of these things that I like, I'm like, never would have thought of that. Never yeah. would have thought of that. <laughs> I was literally replying to customers every day. Like a hundred customers would email every single day, hundreds of customers. And I'm literally sitting behind the computer trying to respond to them while being like, okay, to my shipping team, what's like, what's the update? And then getting a fulfillment company is also another thing. And then working out what that looks like, working out what your packaging looks like. And like, there's so many things. Yeah. It doesn't end. It literally doesn't end. Um, and, and so I'm now I'm like on book tour mode and everything is finally in place. I have amazing packaging. It's not going to damage the books. And like, you know, we're shipping daily and everything's yeah. like, it just like, it was like the longest teething process of my life. Oh my gosh. But now everything is settled. Beautiful. And now I have to like look at distribution and how I can actually get my book into bookstores because unless you're with a distribution company, they don't want your book. Wait, really? Yes. Um, Barnes oh. and Nobles literally got back to me yesterday and they're like, we only accept um, self-published books if you distribute within these companies. And they gave me a long list. And I was like, Okay. And so I look into distribution. Distribution is 70% to the distributor, 30% to the artist. And they sell your book for half the price. So I'm like, do I even want distribution or should I just go hard on like selling my book online and like, you know, focusing all my energy on literally just like getting people to buy the book right. through like Instagram ads and yeah. whatever. I mean, it's hard though too, because it's like, you know, bookstores, you're getting people who've never heard of you before. Yeah. And you're, yeah. I mean, you're really breaking a model though. 
I have a lot of questions, like and not ones that can be answered, but just things that you, it, it seems like you found a lot of holes in the system. Yeah. And you know, this is only your first book. I know that you're going to, this is not the last, maybe it will be, maybe who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I don't, know. I'm like, I don't work, want to tell you so. that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but I'm, but I mean, I feel like you going that route has been such a service to other artists to say, I mean, listen, it's hard work, but like it's something is possible and you've. Yeah. But I, I will say that if I didn't have my audience, this book would not be successful. Exactly. But yeah. I also like cultivated this audience over 10 years. Yeah. And like. I have built such a strong community of supporters that I love and adore. And, yeah. you know, that's why this book tour is so important because I really want to, like, thank them. I want to be there. Yeah. I want to, like, literally say thank you. Yeah. and um, they and Because they made it happen. Totally. Who are they? Who is your audience? And I, like, I love seeing their faces at your events and they're coming through and they're so emotional and, like, feel so attached to your work. Who yeah. are they? I think um, very loving, caring you know very gentle people I haven't met anyone who's just you know been unkind it's just like everyone is so open yeah and I think the people who follow my work and support my work are on the same path of like going inwards mm -hmm. and leaning into vulnerability to truly express themselves to their partners and you know in their life um I think we all connect because we all want to be seen and we all want to have a voice especially mm -hmm. in our relationships um around love and and yeah it's just been so beautiful to have people share their stories with me and how like my art has directly helped them you know heal from a breakup yeah and like that's like the most common thing i'm, I'm hearing your Ooh. art has helped me heal from my breakup or i literally use your art to break up with my ex or and, and like it's just like no pressure amazing you know it's so it's so beautiful because it's so like good. by me giving my the chaos in my brain like a space yeah. um mm. uh, it helps others also do the same yeah and so you know by me doing the work it's helping others do the work and i'm like okay that's cool i like that yeah that's that's the that's the radical thing is like when you actually engage with your own story and you create the space in your life for you to engage with it, there is no, there's no like, this is why this idea of trying to change people is such a farce because yeah. like you can't change people. You can only change yourself. Yeah. You also have to trust that in changing and evolving yourself, you are also going like you're showing people how to do that for themselves. And yeah. that's the impact that you make. Yeah. Um, okay. I know this is funny because it was like one of the first questions I asked and then I realized, oh my gosh, wait, I didn't get the answer. You interviewed your dad yes. for the book. Tell me about that. Okay. So, um, yeah, we didn't answer that question. It's perfect. I feel like we're, <laughs> we're having like the parent conversations as like a little, like we talk about it and then we go into like art and then we talk about it and we go into, and I, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I interviewed my dad for the book because I wanted to understand where he was at with um, the occupation in Palestine. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to understand his um, history more because like he's never been able to openly like talk about it and we've never set intentional time to talk about it. So I had my best friend Bahar who um, interviewed them at the house because she was also one of the editors on my book. Interviewed who? My parents. Both of them. Yeah, so she went yep. to Perth. She lives in Perth and she interviewed them and... Um, I was on the Zoom call Whoa. in Istanbul <laughs> before a wedding. So it was like, I didn't expect, Huh? yeah, I didn't know where it was going to go. But um, I ended up sobbing because 
hearing my dad speak of, you know, the occupation, because he was born in 1949 and Nakba was 1948. Mm -hmm. And in 1948, it was very different than when he was born. 1948, my grandpa and his dad uh had a very large orchard farm orchid farm mm -hmm. how do you say it orchard orchard um, orchard yeah yeah he had a, a large orchard farm it had olives and oranges and you know they were harvesting and uh nakba happened and literally like within the same week the israeli occupation force came to their land and they tried to buy it at first so like can we buy it off you and my granddad was like no this is ours and the next day the very next day they came and they burnt it to the ground they bulldozed it and they displaced my um, dad's family from their home and they got sent to Tabor in Ramallah and um, and then my dad was born the following year uh, in a basement um, and in order for my dad's family to stay in Palestine my um, granddad had to work for the occupation force and he made like the horse shoes mm. and he also made wine and um, there was like one other thing like soap or something but you didn't know this before your dad shared it this time no i didn't know and because oh. he never spoke about it yeah and so um and how was he during the interview he was just um he like, was, was very it? calm but mm -hmm. he was like you could see he was like it's hard for him um and then and then uh, after five years uh in ramallah they were displaced and they went to um to Jordan and then they went to Qatar. So that was like my dad's journey out of Palestine. And then for my grandma, um, she was born in Yaffa. And sorry, my- This is your grandfather's wife? Uh, no, my- A different grandma. Oh, both my grandmas were born in Yaffa actually. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, they, my grandma was um, married off to a Jordanian man in Erbil, Jordan at 13 so they could leave. Mm. And um, her whole family weren't allowed to come except um, her dad and her dad's brother. So that was like their way out, out. And then everyone else stayed in Palestine and eventually moved to Gaza. So, um, mm. or were moved to Gaza, I should say. Um, and, and a lot of them are still over there um, if they're alive. And and yeah, so that's kind of their their story. And when I asked my dad why we can't, why he doesn't want to go back, that's what broke my heart because he it was the first time I really felt him speak on how he felt like he doesn't have a home and he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere because the home that he knows isn't the same anymore. And um, mm. he also had a bit of um, adversity around being Christian in Qatar and being ostracized by like his Muslim peers and not accepted at school. And like, mm -hmm. even though he was the best in the class, he was never honored because of his religion. So like, and then he comes to Australia and he doesn't understand the curriculum because it's not in Arabic. So it's like, he just like never really felt like he had a home. Um, it was always taken away or he was never accepted. And that broke my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't even like fathom. Cause like I always felt his grief as a child. I'm extremely empathetic and I felt his sadness continuously. And like, cause he would sit in silence and like blast like opera music and yeah. it would be like 
11 in the morning and like the house he's like put speakers in every room and he's just like sitting there like wiggling his feet just like eyes closed and like that's his like way of like feeling and he's done that ever since I was a kid but it was always so sad for me to see that because it was like Simon and Garfunkel like sound of silence kind of thing and Mm. like oh Andre Pacelli like real like emotional emotional yeah and so um yeah it just I finally like understood yeah the grief he was carrying it wasn't just like the like material things that I thought it was it was of, of having lost everything once he came to Australia it was it was it was just like a lineage of like trauma and and yeah and so it's hard for him but I think I've convinced him to go back so we're gonna potentially go soon what do you mean you've convinced him to go to Palestine because I wanted to go with them hi there I want to share with you a good deed opportunity At ICU Foundation, we work to alleviate local homelessness and directly serve community members in need. We do this through our community pantry, family food bags, hygiene kits, snack bags, winter care packages, and grocery gift cards. Lately, we've been seeing incredible impact by partnering with businesses and organizations to host volunteer events where their teams make and distribute the ICU care bags. ICU is our response to a community member who, when we asked what she needed most, responded with, we just need to be seen. So if you would like to join us in seeing and serving the community, email us at contact at isyfoundation.org. Okay, back to the show. So that's what I was going to ask next is like, so how does that impact your decision to go and how do you feel about going i'm i feel honestly it's um i'm avoiding it because i can hardly like process the things that i see online and i I just like don't even know how i'm gonna cope i think it's gonna destroy me in ways that i'm not prepared for um because i already spiral if i think too much about it yeah and like but I am also mentally preparing because I know there is so much beauty to be seen. Yeah. And like, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to spend time in Ramallah. There's so many young, buzzing creatives. I want to eat all our food. And yeah. like, I just, yeah, I got to find, I got to find the, like, I got to make sure that before I go, I am so mentally grounded and mm. stable because I struggle so much with mental illness that like, I, I'm just worried it's going to like, yeah. it's going to shock me in ways that I, but I also wonder if like, you know, I feel like a trip there for you, especially is it's kind of like a pilgrimage. It's like you connecting to a bigger part of yourself that you've never met. And so I wonder if also like you would be carried by your ancestors and surrounded by people. I always feel I feel this way when I go to like Arab countries, even like when I'm not from there and there's like this um there's this lightness because there's a familiarity and I'm like, I can't believe I'm hearing the language that my family speaks like everywhere. And like, and you know, when I speak it, it's very broken, but I want to, and I, and there's just like this desire. And so I wonder if that, I'm, I wonder if that'll come through for you and just, you'll, I feel like, especially you and especially as an artist and it's a, it's a part of your story that you're, you'll be so carried and you kind of have to just trust that all the work yeah. that you've done 
it's not even about like mentally preparing from now until you leave. It's like you've been doing this since you were a child. Yeah. Like you've been preparing for this more than you know. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. I am. Um, and I know I have so many homes that I'll be welcomed into and like, I know I'll be celebrated and loved and adored. I just, um, totally. I just don't think I, there's a lot of anger. I'm carrying, yeah. you know, my family's of anger. Course. I'm carrying, you know, our people's anger. And like, I just, I'm just scared. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I, I honor your journey and your feelings with Thank that. You. That's so, I think you, I want it for you so much. And I think that, I hope that inshallah it'll be so healing whenever it happens. Thank you. <laughs> so what's a question that you're currently asking yourself these days? Yeah, I know this was, this is one of your questions. <laughs> I just, never, I didn't prepare for it. Um, let me think. Great. We can um, sit in silence until one comes to you. Okay. I mean, I'm in a phase of like, truly trying to embody self-acceptance and I'm asking myself what exactly does that look like because uh, it's something I practice and it's something I preach a lot like you know love is self-acceptance and accepting yourself in all of your parts and as whole no matter you know how damaged or broken you feel mm. you have to honor that and like mm -hmm. And so I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, what does true self-acceptance look like? Mm. And how do, I, how do I integrate that into my daily practice? And so mm. that means when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling, you know, like groggy or exhausted, like how do I just like sit and celebrate that? Mm. Celebrate it as much as I celebrate, you know, feelings of joy and excitement. Totally. Yeah. You know, I forgot where I learned this from, but it's been a really helpful practice for even what you're saying. And it was like, because language obviously is a huge part of that and the words that we use to define our feelings or whatever it is. Brene Brown has Atlas of the Heart that speaks to a lot of like different emotions that we can talk about. But um, instead of saying like, I feel sad, I've started saying, oh, sadness is present. Yeah. Instead of like making it like I am this feeling, it's just like the feeling has shown up. And I, I, I wish I remembered where I learned this from. But when I started doing that, it was such a like, I don't know, it was like an unlock in my brain because I began to like exist as a witness to what was happening yeah. rather than a victim of it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So this feeling is present right now. Oh, okay. Like anxiety is present right now. Oh, that's well, I'm not anxiety, but like, how do we kind of look at it from afar yeah that's so beautiful and that's definitely like something that I've tried to um practice often mm -hmm. I like feel like emotions of visitors yeah Ooh. and they just like attach to you and you're like oh hey what are you doing next series yeah <laughs> next Sarah Baba series <laughs> they're just and they're just like they just want to be like cuddled mm -hmm. and heard and so they can leave and that's totally. really what emotions are I love that yeah so the way we um this conversation has been great. I could talk to you for hours. Really? Thank you. Um, the way we wrap our conversations is a fill in the blank. So the prompt is, if you really knew me, you would know and you can share. Yeah, yeah, I'll do the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So we wrap our conversations by a prompt. Okay. And the prompt is, if you really knew me, you would know. 
And you can share one, two, or three things. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're um, like, I already shared everything. No, no, no. There's so much. <laughs> okay. If you really knew me, you would know I am an extremely introverted person. And it's really hard for me to connect with people mm. uh, and feel like authentic connection. And, you know, I practice openness so much. And when I'm in a room full of strangers, I shut down completely. And it's really mm. hard for me to stay open. Um, so, yeah. Number one, I'm an introvert. <laughs> Number two. Um, oh, Number two. Oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> Can I think of anything else? I don't know. Uh, hmm. I'm a really good cook. <laughs> my friends uh, are obsessed with this. I call it the famous spicy vodka sauce now because yeah. everyone is just like, yeah, when are you making one. it next? Yes. So I've started doing these annual um, gatherings at my house where it's like long fold out tables with like checkered red tablecloths. And I have like 60 friends come over and I just oh make a God. huge batch. That's and amazing. And I feed everyone and I, you know, we have wine and it's just like a true celebration of this pasta. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and so I do that once a year. Uh, and yeah, I guess if you knew, if you really knew me, you would know how good that pasta tastes. <laughs> um, and then the third thing is, um, I, if you really knew me, you would know I curate playlists a lot. Your birthday playlist is one that I, you, when you shared it, your birthday Spotify playlist last year, I literally, was it last year? Maybe the year before. Anyway, I downloaded it and I listened to it for I like I love it so much. I didn't skip a single song. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's because we're from the same generation. <laughs> I know. It was, it was a lot of early two thousands, late nineties, yeah. and I was like, yes, thank you. Yeah. So I would say, um, I think anyone who is in my life knows that I am really good at curating experiences. Yeah. And so, like a lot of what you see in my art, yes, um, manifest into my like personal life I, as well that's so good to hear and so if i have a dinner like it's gonna look beautiful if i have a castle party with like you know 30 of my friends or 20, i think i had like 20 that was the playlist 22 when I people yeah. there you know i'm gonna take you on a journey yeah and there's gonna be so many like thoughtful intentional like activities like throughout the entire weekend and i'm i just love curating spaces i like to make my art come to life in so many ways and only my friends get to experience it and that's really like fun for me you created the world that you wanted to live in yeah <laughs> that's a really beautiful thing thank you thanks sara thank you thanks for having me it's so great this has been so beautiful thanks yeah you're amazing <laughs> Podcast Nood is an at-your-service production. Producers include myself, Adam Khafif, and Sara Isa. Editing by Nuran Mursi. The theme music is the song Thunderdome, Welcome to America by Portugal the Man. Extra gratitude and thanks to our storyteller, Sara Bahbah. And be sure to get a copy of her book, Dear Love. Also, thank you to Citizen M Hotel for this beautiful mobile studio that we've used pretty frequently throughout this season. As always, at your service.